great stuff. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be together. Um, uh, we're a little thin on the ground this morning because, um, uh, well, it's, it's, it's for one of two reasons. One, and I hope this is the truth, is it's King's Kids family up at the Hazelmere, uh, High Wycombe CAV school this morning. So there's a number of parents who are not here. The other thought that did enter my head is that people knew what I was speaking about today and decided to give it a miss. So we come to a rhythm of generosity. And um, so this is part of this series, uh, really looking at the fundamental rhythms of following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus at its core? And we talk about these seven rhythms. So, so far we've covered the rhythm of scripture, the rhythm of prayer, uh, the rhythm of power, the rhythm of freedom, and then last week the rhythm of reaching out. And then today we come to a rhythm of generosity. And you think, ah, okay, I know what this is, yeah, okay. He's going to talk about money, isn't it? It's the money talk. And you're right. I am. That is exactly what I'm going to talk about. Now, I fully acknowledge, of course, that generosity goes a lot wider. It's a lot broader than than just money. And in the autumn term, we will be exploring the theme of generosity a lot more fully. So look at generosity in all its forms. You know, how we use gifts, time, how we serve others, all that kind of thing. We'll be looking at it in all its forms, spending a few weeks looking at that. But today, as part of this series, I've got one sermon. I've got one crack at this, so we get straight to the heart of the issue. Because, actually, I think this is at the heart of the issue. I think how we approach generosity with our finances does give a pretty good indication of generosity in all areas of life. Now, caveat, I do understand that for some people, you might be in particular circumstances or situations where actually it's very difficult for various reasons. If you're, if you're in the church, but you're married to somebody who's not a Christian or, or all sorts of things, which might be a real constraint on you. But that's not what I'm talking about today. So I completely understand that. But I do think generosity in our finances gives a good indication of generosity in broader areas too. Why? Because ultimately it's a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a physical money issue. It's, not a, it's a heart issue. It's a discipleship issue. This is about following Jesus and doing what he says. It's a deeply spiritual issue. And also, if we're talking about rhythms in our life, you know, and developing, having a rhythm of generosity, then probably our use of money is the most obvious area in which we can develop or deepen a rhythm of generosity. It's the most kind of obvious area we can do that. Now, I'm fully aware that some people don't like they find it a bit vulgar talking about money. They find it a bit distasteful to talk about money. And it's that cynical, oh, you just, want to, you just want people to give more to the church. I mean, do I want people to give more to the church? Yes. Of course I do. <laughs> Duh. I mean, it's like, is that, is, that, is that a terrible thing to say? Of course I want to give people to give money to church. But that's not the motivation here, as I hope will become clear as I continue to speak. That's not the motivation. Or there is a reason why we want people to give church to the money. And actually, this is a tremendously generous church. So I'm not standing here kind of saying, you need to give more. No, 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 it's not that at all. This is a tremendously generous church. And we've seen that demonstrated time and time again in the past. And I've mentioned it many, many times. And I will continue to say it because it's true. An amazingly generous church. And the other thing I think is important to understand as we kind of approach this topic is that God doesn't need your money. He's God. He has what he needs. He doesn't need your money. So, you know, in the same way that he, he doesn't actually need your prayers in order to act, but he still instructs us to pray. And he still instructs us to be generous with what we, 
with what we have. And he does that because he chooses to let us participate in his purposes. He chooses to let his people participate in what he, in, in what he wants to do. And he knows that those are things that bring us life. He knows that those are things that shape our hearts. We pray because it expresses a trust in God. And in his grace, he works through our prayers. We give because it expresses a trust in God. And in his grace, he multiplies what we give and he uses it for his, for his kingdom. And, um, and final kind of little intro point, really, is if you find talking about money distasteful, then you're going to have a big issue with Jesus. Um, because Jesus talked about money a lot. And he talks about money, he talks about possessions, he talks about materialism more than any other topic. Even more than prayer. He, he talked about it even more than healing. He talked about it a lot. Because while, of course, there are many things that are different between our world today and the world in biblical times, there are many differences, but there are some principles that never change. And it has always been the case, going right back to day one, it has always been the case that materialism, the love of money, the love of possessions... Materialism is a really powerful force that can grip our hearts. And that can be the case whether you have very little or you have much. Right? You don't have to be wealthy to be materialistic. In fact, sometimes you see some of the, the strongest materialism in people who envy those who have more. So it's not about how much you have, but Jesus knows how easily we can be entrapped by the love of money. We can become a slave to it. So this is really important is what I'm trying to say. So my own story in that, in that whole area of materialism goes back quite a few years now. Um, it was in my, I distinctly remember an occasion during my first year at university. This was in, so it's coming to the end of my first year. This, this was in 1996, um, which is, a, which is a, a horrifically long time ago now. <laughs> I just catch myself every now and again thinking of that. And it feels like it's five years ago, but it's not. Um, and I was... Um, I was at the University of Bath, but this particular day, it was in the summer term, I was in Bristol with a few friends, which is close by. And during my first year, I had done really quite well at managing my money. I'd, I'd managed to not be overdrawn, which was in contrast to most of my friends. Most of my friends, were, they were overdrawn. I had done actually quite well being careful uh, with my money. Um, but I was out in Bristol, and I saw these pair of, tra- this pair of trainers in a shop window, and th- they just caught my eye for some reason. It was a pair of kicker's pumps, these blue kicker's pumps. Um, some of you don't have a clue what I'm saying. but um, And I just saw these things. And, I, and for some reason, I thought, I really want those. They, just, they were attractive to me, pleasing to the eye, as we read in Genesis chapter 3. Um, I, I was kind of lusting after these trainers. I was just like, I've got to have I, I really, really want them. I thought, they belong on my feet. And the problem is, is I knew I didn't have enough money in my bank account to be able to buy those trainers. I don't know what the trainers were for. Maybe the trainers were 40, 40 quid, 45 pounds at that time, and I had 20 pounds in my bank account. And I knew that, but I also knew that as a student, I could have a free overdraft, which is basically free money, right? That's, that's, what, it, that's what that means, isn't it? So I went in and I bought the trainers. And it was, it was the first time I went overdrawn, and then I was overdrawn, and increasingly so, deeper and deeper for the rest of my student life. It was like crossing a threshold in the grip of materialism. Now, that's, that's a relatively small example, but I think it represents something far bigger, something we see on a far bigger scale all around us, with the obsession in our culture of having all the right things. You know, the right um, kind of clothes and the right kind of house and the right kind of car, the right holidays. And many people getting into terrible debt 
to have those kind of things. And I know I'm not, I'm not saying that's the, that's the sole reason why people get into debt. There are all sorts of complex reasons behind debt and often things out of people's control. And we are really pleased to have such a brilliant CAP Debt Relief Centre, Christians Against Poverty Debt Relief Centre. I think we've just seen our 88th client or family set free from debt. You can clap that. Yeah. So it's an amazing minute. So I'm not making a comment about getting into debt. But the reality is there are many people who do get into terrible debt to live a lifestyle that they can't afford. And maybe that's you. There might be some of you in that position today. But it's heart, this is a heart issue. It's really a heart issue. God isn't after your money. He is after your heart. And he wants you to live in freedom. That's what this is about. Okay? So we're going to look at a couple of passages in the New Testament. And first of all is a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And so I'm going to read from verse 14. So it says this, there was a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So in this parable, the man, where it talks about this man, that represents God. Jesus tells parables and they're representative of other things. So the man represents God, the servants represent us. Okay, so a man going on a journey called his servants, entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work, and he gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags of gold, he gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the same with the second servant. He said, two bags of gold. And he came, master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I've gained two more. And his master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. It's not a great opening line. It's not the way to endear yourself to this man. He says, so I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he presents this filthy, dusty bag of gold And it goes very, very wrong for that servant from this point on. Now, that that parable has lots of different applications. I'm drawing on one particular one today. Um, Something something really important to notice at the start of that parable, which is absolutely crucial to how we think about money, right? So remember, the man in the parable is God. We are the servants. So verse 14 again says, There was a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. I'm emphasizing one word deliberately in there. His. God is the owner. We are the servants. Or another word the Bible uses is stewards. We are stewards, given the responsibility of looking after the resources God gives us to manage. But the crucial point is that everything is his. Everything. That's what Jesus is saying. And it says that elsewhere in the Bible as well. I'm not just plucking something out of Some random verse in the Bible, Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all his. It all belongs to him. It's not your money. It's crucial to get this. 
they did understand that in the early church. We read in Acts 4 that no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. You know, in the early church, what is striking is that no one among them was in need. Why? Because people were prepared to sell stuff they had, to share it, to give, to support, to give to the apostles for the work of God going elsewhere. They got the fact that none of their possessions were their own. The principle at play here really is God is generous to us. He gives us things and he makes us stewards of our lives and the resources that he chooses to give us so that we can also be generous in what we give away. That's the principle here. God gives to us so that we can also give away. But it's so important to get this principle of ownership right in our minds, in our hearts, in order to be generous with money and with possessions because we're born selfish. And I think we all understand that. We all know that. You don't have to teach young children to be selfish. No one ever took their child to a child psychologist to say, I'm really concerned that little Johnny, he just shares things too much. And I'm a bit worried, I'm a bit concerned, and I, I would like him to be more selfish. Nobody ever had that conversation. You don't have to teach young children to say, mine. They learn that all by themselves very quickly, even with stuff that really isn't theirs. It's not yours. But they will still say, no, it's mine, because they're very possessive, and, and it's all around, all, everything revolves around me. The thing is, this is something we don't naturally grow out of, that kind of attitude of clinging on to possessions and money. We would tend to think, well, it's my money, because I earned it. So I do what I want with my money. It's mine. The question you've got to ask yourself is, well, who gave you the ability to earn money in the first place? Now, Jesus' teaching is very clear. It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's all his. Everything you have is a gift. And so you have the responsibility to use it well. You've got to, we've got to use it in the way the owner wants you to use it, which is to be generous. But our ability to grasp that will really come down to how you view God, ultimately. So remember what that third servant said to the master in the parable. He said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid I went out and hid your gold in the ground. I wonder if that's how some here view God. How do you view God? Do you see him like that? Do you see him as kind of scary and mean? and stingy and he's just somebody who wants to destroy your fun and, and he wants to withhold good things from you or do you see him like a loving father who wants the very best for you as someone who is abundantly and lavishly generous towards you like the the first two servants what did what did he say to the first two servants he says well done good and faithful servant you know, come and share your master's happiness there's a picture of joy here and abundance and and lavish generosity how do you view god I suspect probably all of us are somewhere in between those two extremes. Probably none of us have the perfect picture of God as the generous, abundant father, but actually maybe we don't see him as mean and stingy, but what does, I don't know, what does the attitude of your heart really say and how you interact with him? How do you see him? Do you see him as somebody who's actually out to, to destroy your fun, to withhold good things from you? How we view God will affect how generous we are in every area of our lives, not just in money, it will affect our generosity in every area. So really, the heart issue here is whether you see God as a giver or as a taker. How do you see him? I think this is so important that we think about this. The heart that sees God as a taker just sees him as constantly making demands on you. It's just demand, demand, demand. He drains you. Do this. Live like that. Follow the rules. Give money to the church or else. And he just wants to destroy your life. I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago with the rhythm of freedom and talked about, you know, are we sons or servants? 
Is God your boss? Is he your taskmaster? Or is he your father? Are you a son or a servant? Are you a daughter or are you a servant? The heart that sees God as a taker will prefer not to think about how much you can give away, more how much can I keep hold of. But the heart that sees God as a giver is a heart that rejoices in a relationship with God, readily receives God's grace and just wants more of God's grace and recognizing that this is grace and sees God as a bountiful and abundant and inexhaustible provider and helper and blesser, the one who gave everything for you, the one who gave himself on a cross. It's the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice, the most sacrificial, most generous gift ever given. And the heart that sees God as, as a giver as a, and as a beautiful, abundant giver That's a heart that wants to give and wants to give joyfully and wants to share as much as possible rather than looking to keep keep hold of as much as possible. It's a bit like the difference between jugs and glasses. So here we've got a jug and a glass. And the thing is with a glass is you pour a certain amount of water in to the glass and it's for you to drink. Okay, the glass is the destination of that resource. It is for your consumption. But a jug is very different. A jug has water poured into it for a very different purpose. It's not for consumption from the jug. It is to be poured out again into other things, into other glasses, into other receptacles. The jug is not the end point. It's not the final destination of those resources. It's a conduit for those resources to be poured in so it can be poured out and shared out into other places. So are you a jug or are you a glass? How do you see yourself as a jug or a glass? Is everything you have for you to be consumed by you, or is it to be shared, even though you may have very little? It's a heart issue again. Are you a jug or a glass? You can't develop a rhythm of generosity if you don't see yourself as a jug, if you don't see yourself as somebody who God blesses to bless others. God gives to be able to to give away to others. How we use whatever money and whatever resources we have, and again, some have much and some have less. It's just part of life. But it all comes down to how you view God. Do you see him as a giver or a taker? Do you see him like that third servant, hard, mean, stingy, cruel, or the first two servants, generous, abundant, and joyful? Do you love God or do you love money? Because you can't love both. Okay, so let's have a look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. This is the second passage we're going to look at. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, uh, writing a letter to Timothy, and he says this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, not just, not just he, he just begrudgingly gives us what we need, no, he richly provides for our enjoyment as well. Now, I guess it's easy to hear that that scripture, that passage from 1 Timothy, and think, oh, well, you know, command those who are rich in this present world. You assume that's directed at somebody else, because I'm not rich. You know, you assume that's directed, if you live in Wickham, that's directed at people who live in Gerard's Cross, isn't it? It's like, sorry if that's uh, offensive in any way. Um, but let me ask you this. When you got up this morning and you got dressed, thank you for doing that, um, Did you have a choice of what to put on? Did you have a choice of shirt, a choice of shoes? Did you have a choice in terms of what you're going to wear today? And did you have a choice of what you're going to have uh, for breakfast today? Because the reality is, if you have options like that, the vast majority of the world would say you are rich. 
because the world extends beyond Britain. The vast majority of the world would look at you and say, you're rich. If you slept in a bed and in a house, you are rich. In this present world, you are very, very wealthy. And of course, you can always point to somebody who has more and think, well, if I just had that, then I would be rich. Then I would describe myself as rich. You know, then I would be okay. But everybody always wants more. The world's set up to convince us that we always need more all the time. You know, you need these products, you need uh, this brand, you need this type of car, this kind of holiday, you need these kinds of experiences to be able to experience life in all its fullness. These are the things that you need, is what the world tells us. The reality is, if your hope is in wealth, you will never have enough. You will always be wanting more, because what is enough? How do you know when you've arrived at enough? And then one day you die, and you can't take any of it with you anyway, so what was the point? What Paul is saying here is don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's such a shaky foundation. Don't kid yourself that having money and having possessions will bring you peace and security. No. Instead, Paul is saying put your hope in God. God, who is a father who loves you and who wants to provide you with everything for your enjoyment. When we trust God like that, when we trust him as the owner, then we become faithful stewards and we become generous with the resources he's provided us. And Paul goes on to say to Timothy, he says, command them, those who are rich in this present world, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is where life lies. This is where you find life. In other words, what Paul is saying is if when you think eternally, he talks about the coming age, a firm foundation for the coming age. When you think eternally and you put your trust in an eternal and loving God, you will want to invest in eternal things. You become less interested in investing in temporary things. You want to invest in eternal things and you will be generous and you'll be willing to share, willing to give away to God's work, to give generously. That's why I said what I said at the beginning, by the way. Do I, do I want you to give the church more money? Of course of course, that's why we encourage people to give generously to the church, not so that we can pay ourselves more, but so because we're all about investing in eternal things. That's what the church is here for. It's all about eternity. We want to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus in this town and beyond this town. We want to see as many as possible spend eternity with God. God has said, I have many people in this place. Many. That's why we have a vision of being a church of thousands, a diverse church of thousands, because God has many people in this place. We want to see as many as possible in this town spend eternity with God, so we want to fund ministries that are going to help with that. We want to help the poorest, the most vulnerable. You know, we want to help those who are homeless and those who are addicted and those who are in debt, the sex workers, um, those who are struggling with loneliness and isolation. We want to help them, not just materially to make this life better. We want that as well. But actually, we want to ultimately introduce people to Jesus, to an eternal hope that we have. We've got good news. Good news. The gospel is good news. We want to introduce people to the good news of Jesus, to a loving Father who loves them eternally. And so we want to invest in those ministries, and we want to do more. And we want to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That's why we encourage people to give generously to the work of the church, because it means we can do more. We can reach more people. And also we're called to be generous in all areas of life, of course. And the striking thing about this, what Paul says to Timothy, is that when we do that, when we live like that, when we're generous and we're willing to share, that is what brings life. 
that is truly life. Our world has it totally the other way around. You've got to earn more and you've got to have more to find happiness and joy in this world. It's rubbish. God says, no, that is not the way. That is the path to misery, actually. Generosity is what will bring life and joy and purpose and freedom from the grip of materialism. It lies in generosity, being generous, and that's why Jesus spoke about this so much, because he knows how much the love of money can grip our hearts and destroy our lives. So my own experience of this, again, my own lived experience of this, is that when you live like that, when you are generous and you give your heart to God, you give everything over to him, and you recognize that he is the owner and you are the steward, he owns everything, my experience of that is that you will never lack. You will never lack. I mentioned earlier about that moment that I kind of gave myself over to materialism. Well, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Because following university, I did a year's internship with the church here. And as part of that year, I got onto the subject of giving and giving to the church. And I could not get my head around this idea that I'm being paid by the church. I was being paid £4,000 for the year, so it wasn't like a huge amount. But I was being paid something by the church and then give something back to the church. I couldn't quite get my head around that, but of course it was totally the wrong perspective because it was actually more to do with my heart, not the actual transaction. And so I went and looked at the, the classic verse that a lot of people will know in the Old Testament, Malachi 3, um, where God is speaking to Israel about tithing. Tithing means giving 10%. I'll come back to that in just a minute. In just a minute. And he says this, God says this to Israel, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Because the Israelites were commanded to give 10% of their crops you know, that was part of their income, uh, and bring 10%. But then God says something astonishing. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. You know, if you're worried about giving that much away, because 10% is quite a lot of crops, if you harvest a load, 10% of that is a significant amount. Test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, that's an amazing promise that he made to Israel. Now, it was a promise to Israel in their context, but I kind of decided to appropriate that promise for myself. I decided to take him at his word. He says, test me in this. I thought, well, I'm going to do that. I'll test you in this, Lord. So I started to tithe my income. I started to give 10% of my income. So we're talking about £30 a month here. Not a lot of money, but it, in my context, it felt like a lot of money, I tell you. That £30, that was a sacrifice. It totally changed my heart. Totally changed my heart. And I really did lack nothing. I got through that year. I was, I was paying rent, so I was in a shared house. So paying rent, that's not cheap around here. I was running a car, that's not cheap. I even went on a ski trip, that's definitely not cheap. And I broke even. You know, I, you would have expected, okay, now you've done university, now you're in a year where you're only being paid £4,000 and to meet all your living expenses, your overdraft is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Surely. No, no, it didn't. It, I broke even. Because money would come. <laughs> People were generous to me. God was generous to me. And then in the next year, started working and my overdraft was gone in that year because I learned such a lot about money and how to handle money and the decision originally to start giving that set me on a road in terms of an attitude to money and an attitude to giving that has been a massive source of blessing ever since really has been I've been blessed in amazing ways and let me tell you this blessing is not about making you wealthy 
right? There is a, there is a, you know, some people, you call it the prosperity gospel. Some people preach this, this gospel. It's a, it's a corruption of the gospel where it's basically uh, give and then God will make you rich. Rubbish. Nowhere does he say that. That's, that's a false gospel. It's not about making you wealthy. And if God does make you wealthy, which of course he does with some people, it's so that you can give more away. You know, we're all called to be generous, but some people, there is a spiritual gift of generosity, which some people have, and that is actually the ability to make money. You know, God releases entrepreneurs into his kingdom, people who can make money so that they can fund the activities of the kingdom, so that they can give more away. That's what becoming wealthy is about in God's kingdom. It's not about accumulation for yourself. You know, we've never had loads of money as a family, um, but it's never, ever caused us to compromise on our giving. And I don't say that to boast. I don't say that to make myself look good. But to demonstrate that my genuine experience, genuine experience, is that it is such a blessing to give generously. Even if at times you give and it's like with a bit of a... Oof, because it's responding to God. It's responding to what he's asking us to give. It brings freedom. And I can honestly say we've never been without anything we need. There are things we've wanted over the years, of course, that we can't have, but that's life, isn't it? But we are, we are also mightily blessed with what we do have. You know, some, I look at our life in amazement, actually, at the things that we have, the house that we have, and all the stuff. It's just the blessing of God. And at times, even in the past, when I've looked at our budget and I've thought, oh, that looks a bit tight, I can honestly say I've never worried about it. Never worried about money. Now, I know for many people, money is the number one source of anxiety, number one stress. I can honestly say I've really never worried about money because I'm confident in God's provision and because I've experienced it. I've experienced his provision. Sometimes, literally, money coming through the door, but also in other, in other ways as well. So that's my experience of this, that God is true to his word. You will never lack. Now, just coming back to tithing briefly, I mentioned that before. For some of you, if, if for some of you, if this is all kind of new, this what I'm talking about today, you might think, "Well, ten percent? Are you crazy? I mean, that's a lot of money. Ten percent of my income—that's a—that's a heck of a lot of money." So let me just say this about tithing. While tithing is clearly it's in the Bible, it's a biblical principle, and it's a principle which many people find really helpful as a helpful, uh, helpful guideline. But what I would say about tithing is it's not the mark of having arrived at generosity. There's nothing magical about 10%. I would say if you haven't started on a journey of regular giving, the key is just to start somewhere. Don't worry about it. Start somewhere. Start with what you can cope with. Start with what you can do. And just get on that journey and then let God lead you along the way. But you can give away in your circumstances, depending on your circumstances, you could be giving away a lot less than 10% and still be exceedingly generous in what you're giving away. Because for you, that is exceedingly generous. There's nothing magical about 10%. Equally, you could be giving 10% of your income, which represents a lot more money materially, but you could still be fundamentally ungenerous and still gripped by the love of money because you might have capacity to give a lot more. And God might be asking you to give a lot more. And that's the key part of this. What is God asking you to do with what he gives you? The question is, what is generous for you? What is generous for you? What do you have faith for? The New Testament guideline is simply to be radically and sacrificially generous. That's, it's actually quite a high bar, <laughs> to be radically, sacrificially generous. C.S. Lewis, the Christian author, he said this. He said, I do not believe we can settle on how much one ought to give, 
I'm afraid the only safe rule, if we need a rule, is to give more than we can spare. In other words, what he's saying is, don't give God your leftovers if you happen to have any. You know, I'll get to the end of the month and I've still got tenner in my account, so I'll, I'll bung a tenner in the offering. Or actually, maybe I'll bung five pounds in the offering because I, I need to make sure I've got five pounds left. No, that's not the New Testament model of giving. You give sacrificially. You give proportionately to your income. You give regularly. And crucially, you give to God first. It's first fruits. That's what he said to Israel. Bring the first of 10%, the best, the first fruits of your crop. Don't, don't give me your leftovers. You bring that 10% first. And for us, whatever we have decided in our hearts, it's right for us to give. Whatever God is telling us to give, we give it to him first. So many people here give, we don't pass baskets around, so we give by standing order because that's how kind of the world works now. For, we have a standing order set up. It's, it goes out the day after my salary goes in because it's the first thing that goes out of our bank account because I don't want to get to a position where it's like, oh, I can't give what I wanted to give because I don't have it left. No, that goes first. It's first fruits. That's the New Testament model of giving. But crucially, let me caveat this, give out of what you have. Give out of what you have. Don't give in a way that gets you into debt because that's not good stewardship either. Because sometimes you can hear a message like this and think, all right, yeah, I'm going to test God in this and I'm going I'm to give my house away. And you know, I've heard people speak and, they, and, and actually they've done and God has, because they've responded to a specific prompt of God and don't want to rule that out, but it's like, but you can take it to an extreme and land yourself in terrible trouble because you're not actually responding to what God is telling you to do. That's the key. What is God asking you to do with what he's given you? Don't give in such a way that gets you into debt because that's not good stewardship. The point of this is that God sees your heart. It's not about a certain amount or a certain percentage. It's the heart. A generosity of heart which reflects a freedom from materialism and ultimately reflects complete trust in God himself and in his provision. Okay, so let me just finish with this example. And this isn't to suggest that you should do exactly the same, but it's to challenge us. Okay, so John Wesley, many of you will know the name John Wesley. He founded the Methodist movement in this nation and he was part of a massive revival in the 18th century in this, in this nation totally changed this nation. Lord, please do that again, Lord. We need that. And we need revival. But he was part of this huge revival. And John Wesley was a radical giver, really radical. He lived very simply. He just lived off the absolute necessities. And he lived by a principle of giving away all that you can, as much as you possibly can. So he decided to maintain his standard of living at the same level and then give away everything else. So at the time, he earned 30 pounds a year, so the 18th century. 30 pounds a year, his living expenses were 28 pounds, so he gave away two pounds that year, which is not 10%, by the way. But then as his earnings increased, he continued to live off 28 pounds. So when he earned 60 pounds, he gave away 32 pounds, which is more than half. When he earned 120 pounds, he gave away 92 pounds. And what John Wesley would say, and this is incredibly challenging, he would say, what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but his standard of giving. And John Wesley did that for his whole life, even when his income reached 1,400 pounds, he lived on 30, and he gave the rest away. So by the end of his life, John Wesley was giving away 98% of his income. That's radical. That's radical generosity. That's sacrificial. That is someone who is free, totally free, of the grip of materialism. Like I said, that is not to suggest that that's what you should do, or that's what I should do. It's between you and God. What you give away, between you and God, because he is the owner, you are the steward. He asks you to be generous. So the question is, what is generous for you? What is generous? It's a heart issue. 
Please remember that. It's a heart issue. God is not after your money. He's after your heart and for you to live in freedom from materialism, to be able to enjoy the blessings that he wants to pour out on you, to know the life that is truly life, the freedom that comes with this kind of lifestyle. A rhythm of generosity is fundamental to following Jesus, as are all the things we're talking about in this series. It's fundamental to following Jesus. And when we truly get God's heart on this, and we see him in the right way, we see him for who he is. He is the most abundant and generous giver that there is, the one who gave himself on the cross. Once we get that, then giving generously is not actually onerous, and it's not begrudging. And please don't ever give begrudgingly, like out of duty. Don't do that. It's better not to give than to do that. Again, they're like a point to place in the Bible. We don't have time to do that right now. Don't give begrudgingly. But when you grasp who God is and the generosity that he has shown us, then actually giving is not begrudging. It, it actually becomes a joy, genuinely. It becomes a delight and even a privilege to be able to participate in the purposes of God, to be able to give to the work of the kingdom. And it brings a release of freedom in your life. Okay, So God intends for us to be like jugs, and not like glasses, and give generously knowing we can never, ever outgive God. So, question I want to leave you with is how can you develop or how can you deepen a rhythm of generosity in your life? How can you develop or how can you deepen a rhythm of generosity in your life? Come to God with it. Ask him what he wants you to do. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me in this. So what is your response? Rich. Rich.